Well, friends, if we haven't met one another, my name's Adam, and it's my joy to be the senior pastor here at our church. And, and I take very seriously the call to consider what God would have to say to us in the midst of where we find ourselves. A recurring theme that we've hit on the past few weeks is grief. And, and I won't talk about it every week, but it's, we just need to acknowledge uh, that right now is really a hard time for a lot of folks. You know, this last week was interesting. Uh, I, you know, my, my, my kid went into first grade and Giambalvo's opened back up. I saw all my buds at the pizza place. The Chiefs were playing football Thursday night. I was like, 2020's looking up a little bit. It was like a little slice of normalcy, Amen. And oh, it just felt so good. I, I broke out the fine china today to, to celebrate uh, the first week of football. But, but it, even with just that shred of normalcy and how good that felt, man, it's still a really tough time for a lot of folks. There was an article from Forbes magazine in August, and it spoke about a CDC survey of over 5,000 people that was at the end of June. That was when the survey was uh, was done, and the data they collected reports increases in symptoms of anxiety, depression, increase in the reported trauma and stress-related disorders, an increase in respondents saying they've used alcohol and prescription or illegal drugs to deal with their pandemic-induced stress and anxiety, and, and very disturbing, the number of people contemplating and completing suicide is also rising especially among people ages 18 to 24. Now, I can't think of a much sadder way uh, to begin a message. And, and, and so I think it's important that we remember good news as we acknowledge reality. So how, how do we do more than just survive whatever's next? And, and how do we go beyond, again, just, just mere survival? Well, I think a big part of the answer to that question has to deal with leadership. And I'm not going where you think I might be going. I'm smarter than that. Because I'm not talking about elected officials or appointed officials or, or even county or local officials. You'll hear plenty about that in the next two months. No, I'm talking about self-leadership. I mean, you as a leader. We have families we lead, or, or maybe we supervise personnel professionally. We lend our leadership to organizations. I can tell you we have a lot of leaders at our church because without leaders, we wouldn't have a church. But even if you don't find yourself in a typical leadership role, I can tell you that you lead at least one person. A famous pastor said once that the most difficult person you'll ever lead is yourself. And a lot of times people shy away from this title of being a leader. But we all lead ourselves. There's an old cliche that goes, it's lonely at the top. I found this on Facebook. It's lonely at the top. That's why a Lamborghini has two seats and a bus has 50. I was like, whatever, whatever, macho meme. So we all lead ourselves in addition to other positions you find yourself in. And what I hope we'll discover as we study God's word together today is that leadership doesn't have to be lonely. We see the struggle of leadership throughout the life of Moses. He was born a Hebrew child in slavery, kind of in these miraculous circumstances. And, and, and so because he was rescued uh, by Egyptians, he was actually raised uh, as Egyptian royalty. So he had this unique perspective as both Hebrew and Egyptian because the Egyptians had enslaved the Hebrew or Israelite people. And Moses flees Egypt after killing an Egyptian kind of in, in, in a righteous rage. And later Moses receives a call from God to go back and appear in front of Pharaoh, 
appear in front of Pharaoh, try saying that, and, and, and plead for the Israelites' freedom to let his people go. So if you think that your past disqualifies you from being used by God, Moses is an excellent counterpoint to that with all of his faults and his own struggles. Because Moses is like a Bible Hall of Famer, but he had plenty of his own issues, including the episode we're going to read today. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 17. Moses has led the Hebrew people, also called the Israelites, out of slavery, but they haven't quite reached the promised land. They haven't gotten to their destination. They're in this in-between. And that, that's where the book gets its name, the Hebrews coming out of Egypt. The word Exodus comes from the combination of two Greek words that mean way out or departure. So that's, that's, that's the, 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 really the, the basis of the book that we're going to be reading from. So the Israelites have left Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land, but they're in the desert in between. And we'll pick up in Exodus 17, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The desert of sin. I think that's where the Raiders play now, right? (laughs) Hey, uh, how'd you like to have an Airbnb at the desert? Yes, one for the desert of sin, please. Not a place you want to go, it sounds like. But that word doesn't mean to us in 2020 what it it referred to uh, back in ancient times. It was named the Desert of Sin after an ancient deity who was worshipped uh, via the moon, right? There was a connection between this deity and the moon and, and the worship uh, of this god. So it was believed that Rephidim is on kind of the southern portion of the Sinai Peninsula, or, or we're, we're east and south of Egypt, and there's a long way to go until the Israelites reach the Promised Land. And as you can imagine, in a desert, the people grow thirsty and they have a dilemma, Verses two and three. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? So a few words poke out to me here. The word quarreled, we hear twice and it's followed up with grumbled. Friends, this is the test of leadership, grumbling. Right? The people are upset, they're thirsty. What's Moses gonna do? The test of leadership. And I find Moses' response very telling. Like when the people say to Moses, give us something to drink, I mean, it's, it's part of me is like, well, what do they want him to do? Well, I think what's implied is they want Moses to kind of do his thing with God and just get some water going. They're trying to put Moses up to something. And I think that's indicated because Moses' response is, why do you put the Lord to the test? So at at Moses' apparent refusal, the people are still thirsty and they're still dissatisfied. The Hebrew word for quarrel is yareb. And it's connected with a, a public or legal like lawsuit. And then the Hebrew word for grumble is yalen, which can also be translated murmur. And the sense here is to kind of complain under your breath. So the people are complaining against Moses, both publicly and privately. And their complaint is in verse three. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? 
So the people are murmuring, they're posting on keeping Carney informed, right? They're airing their grievances publicly. They would, can we put verse three back up there, my man? They would rather go back to Egypt. Why'd you lead us out of here if we're just gonna die of thirst? So what Moses is dealing with here is opposing instructions, right? God wants Moses to lead the people to the promised land. The people want Moses to take them back to Egypt. Opposing instructions. And this isn't the only time that this happens in Exodus, by the way, where the people are like, well, at least in Egypt, we had three meals a day and plenty to drink. Friends, this is the burden of leadership, choosing between two competing values. Now, in this case, the values are the stability of Egypt with three square meals a day. That's one value, stability. And the other value Moses is having to choose from is freedom, Freedom from slavery where your children aren't forced into labor. Stability and freedom, two competing values. Now, to me, this doesn't seem like much of a choice. Like, I would go with freedom, but I'm not currently dying of thirst in a desert, right? So when a decision is easy, there isn't much leadership required. Right? It's, it's a no-brainer. It doesn't take a lot of leadership. It's when you have two values set against each other that leadership is needed, right? Like say, for example, the values of safety of children and also the necessity of them being in school. Two competing values. That's when leadership comes in. That's when it's hard. I mean, I don't want to be too self-referential here, but, but it's, it's a lot like the safety of our congregation Versus the essential necessity of worshiping God together. How, how do you do both of those? What do you do when there isn't an easy choice? That, friends, is the burden of leadership. Now, one thing we can do is commiserate with Moses, who in verse four uh, says this, and I, I believe this will be a great life verse for some of y'all. Exodus seventeen four. here we go. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. I imagine it would be uniquely frustrating to be rejected by the same people who you came to rescue. We know that that's a feeling Jesus experienced, to be rejected by the very people you came to rescue. Moses is at the end of his rope. What am I gonna do with these people? And that to me, friends, is the temptation of leadership, to bail to give up, abdicate, and let someone else mess with it. No happy choices and no happy people is not a fun equation. And that's not fun for Moses, and it's not fun for any of us when we experience that. Maybe you found yourself thinking something similar. What am I gonna do with these people? And I, I just wanted someone to tell you if, you, if you've had the temptation to bail, it just means you're tired. It's, it's okay to be tired. Everybody gets tired. What happens next was good for Moses, it was good for the Israelites, and it's good for us. God responds. God answers. Verses five through seven. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the leaders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. 
I will stand there before you by the rock at Oreb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, in the place he called Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? So this experience was so etched into Moses' mind that he renamed the location where this happened. Now, the title of this message is called Lead from the Front. God calls Moses out in front of the very people that grumbled against him and, and, and had murmurs about him. And if they had rocks in their hands, Moses would have been afraid of them. Right? God calls Moses in front of the very people that are fed up with him. And God helps Moses face the challenge head on. So Moses lifts his staff to strike the rock. And this same staff is the one that struck the Nile River in Egypt and water pours out of the rock. Biblical scholar Tokenbo Adeyomo said this, this use of the rod serves to remind the people and the elders who seem to be regretting ever having left Egypt of what God had done for them in the past. Friends, it's good news that God is patient with us difficult people. That God used the staff of Moses as a reminder of where they'd come from. And so I think it's interesting that, that Moses' name means, in Hebrew, drawn out of the water. And so that day, God used Moses, who himself was drawn out of the water, to draw water out of a rock and provide for the people. God gives them what they need. And, and another part of the burden of leadership is, okay, this crisis done. Whew. When's the Sunday night football game on, right? No, the next challenge comes very quickly. This is verses eight and nine of Exodus seven. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. The guy can't catch a break. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Now this is the first mention we get in Exodus of Joshua. Joshua would be Moses' successor as the, the Israelites' leader. And he was serving as a general in this instance. And now the Amalekites, they were generational rivals of Israel. The Amalekites descended from Esau, who was a brother to Jacob, and, and the Israelites descended from Jacob. So we've got a lot of family bad blood going on here. So Moses has Joshua act as a general while he takes God's staff to a strategic location. Now again, Moses is the guy who was once afraid to appear out in front of Pharaoh, and then God calls him not only to appear in front of Pharaoh, but then to appear in front of the very people that he rescued and have, reje that have rejected him. And now God is calling Moses to lead the people out in front. Moses is going to go and act in faith. Verses 10 through 17. So Joshua fought the Amalekites that Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. The staff that Moses carried with him represented the presence and the power of God. Now, from that strategic viewpoint on top of the mountain or the hill that, that Moses was on, 
the Bible doesn't fill in a lot of the blanks for us in terms of how that worked. What was the nature of God's providence? Why when Moses has his hands up do the Israelites continue in victory, but when he lowers them, they begin to lose and the Amalekites, uh, the, the, the battle tends to shift towards them. It's unclear, but, but what I love about this passage is, is one, the reassurance that even Moses got tired. It's okay to be tired, but luckily Moses wasn't leading alone. Friends, leadership doesn't have to be lonely. Aaron was Moses' brother, and Hur was the son of Caleb, and he was a part of one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Judah. Biblical scholar Tokenbo again observes, the victory over the Amalekites is won by the cooperation of Moses, Aaron, Hur, and Joshua, all working together in obedience to God. This is the verse we read, Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunsets. And the Israelites won the battle. So friends, my question for us is who's holding up your arms? Last week, we talked about what it means to let go and let God and, and the concept of letting God do the heavy lifting. Well, one of the ways that God works in our lives, one of the, the ways God shows providence or, or shows up in life is through other people. So who are the folks that help you hold up your arms when you grow tired? There is not a single day that goes by where I don't, I don't have the support, the, the bullpen of just a ton of folks to help prop me up until sunset. I happen to move next door to some. These are our neighbors, Tommy and, and Carolyn, and they're, they're a part of our church, and this was from our socially distanced egg hunt uh, in April. They were so welcoming when we moved in, being new to town, and, and they've helped us get our kids on and off the bus when we needed them. And earlier this year, we were part of the same small group. And this small group environment, that's where it's helpful to understand that you don't have to lead alone and that other folks can give you support as you support them. Friends, we've seen the numbers. We talked about that at the beginning of the message. Anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, all of it up. Now, now, let me be very clear. I am not suggesting that a small group is the answer to mental health. I am suggesting that when we are alone and disconnected, we suffer. Starting September 20th, that's next week. September 20th, doesn't that seem like a long ways off? It ain't. It's next Sunday. Uh, so this week, we're organizing groups, both virtual and in person, to meet for four weeks during our upcoming sermon series called The Pursuit of Happiness. So you can sign up at carneyfumc.org slash your next step. And I would love for you all to take advantage of the opportunity to be a part of a group. Again, four weeks, give it a try. Again, we'll have virtual and online, uh, excuse me, online, virtual, in-person, all of it. Now I wanna be clear about a few things. Small groups are not where we force you to talk about your feelings, okay? Small groups are not the place where people can come and show off how much they know about the Bible, and small groups are not the place where you go to be judged on how little you know about the Bible. That's not the point of small groups, no. Small groups are a place where we can make connections and learn and grow together. These are the folks that can help lift up your arms 
as you do the same for them. Friends, leadership is hard. It's hard, but it doesn't have to be lonely. So if you're tired, if you're facing mumbles and grumbles, right? If, if you're like a lot of folks that just are desperate for that sense of connection, this is for you. Right? It maybe, you know, maybe if a lot of this hadn't applied to you and you're actually doing great, we need you to hold up somebody else's arms so you're not off the hook either. My prayer is that like Moses, you will consider making a step of faith and, and try something with the expectation that it will be not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of others. Friends, leadership doesn't have to be lonely. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the witness of the life of Moses who reminds us that we don't have to be perfect to be used by you and we don't have to do it on our own. God, help stir up within us the willingness to let others hold up our arms, to admit that we get tired and to look for your help through the other people you provide to come alongside us. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.